Welcome to Real Native Roots, Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots. Ya'at'e, hello, welcome back. This is our third episode, and I'm looking forward to introducing to you a woman that I adore. I think she is very wise and very humble and very grounded. Her name is Loris Taylor. Loris is a Akama Hopi woman. She is a mother, a grandmother, a daughter, an aunt, a relative to many, and a leader in our Native communities. I got to meet Loris um, through her uh, leadership on the board with First Peoples Fund. And Loris also right now is the president and CEO of Native Public Media. So my interaction with Loris, uh, actually, you know, I'll give credit to First Peoples Fund. Uh, we had met several times, but there were two moments in the continuum of time that really um, had an effect on me and understanding who she is and how she thinks and how she shows up and what she offers to conversation. The first time was in D.C. and we're there at a conference and we're doing um, a side meeting for First People's Fund and I remember the question she asked me and it was a very it was a question that I still remember to this day. And the question was, how do you view protocol in a traditional way? That conversation was so yummy that I still remember the, the, the conversation and what we talked about. The second sort of interaction I had that I felt like had a profound effect on me was this past August uh, of 2019 in Santa Fe, we were in a strategic planning process, and the director of First People's Fund at the time had asked Loris to open our space to sort of talk about spirit, this collective spirit, and what that looks like, and what does that mean. And that message really carried me from that time, because at that time I was very vulnerable. I was in a very different place. And I'm in a different place now, yet because of this pandemic that's going on, I've um, connected to that message, and it has kept me above water. And so her words really come from her education, her life experience, her connections with her relatives, and I really feel that you will take something away from what she'll share with us. So I'm really excited and um, just very honored that you're here this morning, Loris. Like for you to tell everyone a little bit about yourself. So good morning. Good morning, um, and good morning to everyone as well. Um, I'm Loris Taylor, and I'm a homegirl. Um, I come from the Pueblo of Acoma, where I was raised as a young child. And then, of course, when my mother got homesick, uh, we moved uh, to Hopi. So I have, I would say, the really fortunate, um, I think, uh, I've been really fortunate in having the experience of living two cultures. And I can tell you that there's a lot of similarity 
but there's also a lot of differences um, uh, between the two, even though both are Pueblo. And I can say that, you, you know, I'm semi-fluent in the language, <laughs> in the languages of my mother and my father. And I can still understand what people are saying uh, when they're talking around me. And so um, I, can, I guess I can say uh, at best is that um, the two experiences, of course, have shaped my view about the world and um, just really um, added to my um, uh, diverse thoughts about um, communications in general. Uh, so in my professional life, I help tribes to license broadcast facilities, um, both radio and television, AM, FM, low power, full power, <laughs> commercial, non-commercial. Uh, so we, we do the entire gamut. And uh, that's what I do professionally. I also do um, communications policy. And I can tell you that I think this week I've done um, two town halls using technology just to talk about um, um, telecom in particular. And so it's been a heavy-duty week, but a nice week. Nice. Thank you so much for that introduction and giving us a little window, a peek into your um, description in terms of culture, um, who you represent, and what you do. Uh, so thanks for that. And I wanted to have the conversation, which is interesting that, you know, um, as as you and I both know and everybody around us about what is going on in this world right now, communication is I feel like even much more important at this very critical time. Mm -hmm. It is so critical. It's like over communication is even much more um, emphasized. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, in the several, I know that you have several sort of medicine and gifts that you could offer. And this piece in terms of communication, I would love for you to talk a little bit about sort of, the vision and sort of importance because you have created several communication channels, not only within your community, within your tribes that you represent, but also native um, national sort of platform that you've done that. And, and I think most importantly at this critical time, you know, creating communication channels within our family because it's so different now. You know, uh, we connect, you know, in our communities, connecting and being together is so healing and not having that connection physically um, does definitely affect sort of dynamics. So love to kind of hear where you're where you're at with this whole communication and what does that mean? What do we need to be thinking about? Maybe what you're experiencing at this time within your your world. Well, um. I think that's a really great opener. I was on the telephone with a friend of mine who's out in California. And in the middle of our conversation, we, we sort of like remarked almost at the same time and say, um, saying to each other, isn't this just the strangest moment in in time where we're both experiencing this phenomenon that is just worldwide, which is bringing, uh, which is really bringing like nations that are powerful to their knees. 
and affecting every single person, uh, even people in the Amazon, um, in the Arctic, I mean, just everywhere. And no one is immune to this virus that we call COVID-19. And it's having a huge effect, not just economically, but it's having an effect on people in a real traumatic way. And, and we're all in it together. And I think we sat there for a second after we had, you know, talked about this, this uh, period of time that we're all experiencing. And I guess none of us are ever really prepared uh, for a disaster or, or a crisis of this nature. We all think that it's something that happens in movies or it happens someplace else. And, and I think we realize that natural disasters like tornadoes and earthquakes, um, those kinds of things that we anticipate and hopefully we're prepared for. But I think for like a virus that you can't even see that, that, that has seemed to have this life of longevity and can really take you down in more ways than one, um, it's, it's pretty quite phenomenal. And so I know that um, over the past week, I've, I've heard from uh, people. And the one thing that really hits me is that, that we're just now really just wrapping our heads around the fact that the virus is deadly. Um, and that's the first thing. And the second thing we're realizing is that people are suffering. They're not just suffering physically if they're ill, but they're suffering mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And we're just all kind of in, in this space where we're not sure uh, what tomorrow is going to be like or when this will be over. Um, but, I think, but I think we're also hearing from people that there's really an end over the horizon. I mean, I think there's all of us that we, we have some sense of hope. So it's not all like hopeless, um, but there's some sense of hope. And I get this feeling from, um, from people primarily because, and, and especially from my native relatives um, who are rooted in a very value-based um, like upbringing. And, and if I can just like, expound on that just a little bit Please. um i was trying to figure out like how how um how we get to be in that space and, and what comes to mind um and i think every culture has this i'm sure that you have it from your navajo background as well is that we're we're rooted in we're very values rooted um so I, let me see. Uh, for me, uh, personally, it would be I value family. Um, I value um, connection. Um, I value uh, communication and respect and reciprocity and love. And so, I mean, there's, there's, there's like a whole list. So what would be your values, if I would ask? Oh, absolutely, family family, uh, community, uh, the co connection, um, and connection I, I feel is more as, as about the talking, the hugging, the connection of 
cooking together and laughing together, the connection of experiencing and witnessing each other. Um, and I definitely feel like the love. And I think love is definitely a real core value in how we try to extend that, not just within our family, but also beyond, um, you know, relatives and friends and friends that are not in the, the family that they become new families. So absolutely. So absolutely. And I think that's a fabulous, uh, segue in, um, um, to just thinking about some of the things that um, guide us. And uh, for me, I was um, thinking of some of the words that are so profound and powerful from my background. And uh, I, um, I would like to take an example, like from my Hopi background, there are like, we have what we call like heart words, words from the heart. And I think this is universal I, I, across the over 500 native tribes that we have here in the United States, um, perhaps also from indigenous communities around the world. Um, but the heart, so these are words that have like um, um, words of the, they're words of the heart. I guess it's the best way I can explain it. Mm -hmm. So the first one is Naminawa. Um, Unangwa is heart. Nami is like caring for one another from the heart. Um, the second one is Suminangwa, um, caring for others from the heart. And then there's a bigger, larger, I think profoundly like significant word. And my interpretation of, of it is um, for Hitanangwa, it's like caring for society and for the world around you from the heart. And that's for like all living things, on the, all non-living things, um, the, the universe that we take space in. And I think that's what like if we were to ask like different tribes across the U.S., like what are some of the heart words? that you have mm. because these these become really significant so if I were to ask you like what are some of the heart words that you know it may not necessarily have the word the heart uh, the word heart in it but what are some of those words that come to mind that immediately either give you a sense of responsibility or immediately give you guidance or immediately you know when you hear it that you're rooted, um, that it encompasses all the values that we just expressed. Um, so what would be some of those heart words for you? Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for that. I think this is so beautiful in that it. so many things are coming to my mind, but the word for Dene is the one word we I know that I hear is eh. And is about relationships and relationships to the earth, you know, to all the four-legged um, relationship to people. It's the whole interconnection of everything that's interrelated. So they, we really believe in it's like the foundation in how we um, make choices and how we show up and how we help. And so that's the word that we we tend to use. And 
it also made me, as I was listening to you, made me think about, I actually went right back to thinking of like hearing my relatives when they speak Navajo. And I'm not fluent. I am like you. I understand. I can get away with a, a, a small teaser sort of uh, conversation in, in Navajo. But um, it also made me think about, it took me back to my Nelly when they were talking when they, you know how the elders, they give you the love talk, the tough love talk at the end of a meal or, right. or before you leave, they give you that. It's not a lecture. It's not a lecture. It's more of a real philosophical love talk, but it's a little tough. And they're always saying like in Navajo, like take care of yourself, you know, take care of your mind, take care of your heart, be careful what you think, you know, and love each other. You know, they, I can hear those words, um, you know, hajom, like hajom means be careful, but also means beautiful. Like, so I can hear those words. And then it also made me think about sort of cer different ceremonies and songs. There's certain songs, the words that you're saying, the words and the phrases, I can hear them in certain songs now, um, knowing that that's being trying, that's like kind of emphasized and highlighted. Um, and it just makes me think, what you're saying to everyone is like, what are those words? What are those values? What is what's keeping you rooted at this time? Because what you said is so powerful. This moment is really bringing everyone to their knees emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Mm -hmm. And this is the time to really, you know, you need that roots. You need that groundness, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think that's a really great uh, segue in just saying, um, talking a little bit about what we know about COVID-19. Um, so so in, in terms of why, why our values and our roots and our foundation are so important right now. And, and I think disasters and crises don't come in neat packages, right? I mean, they don't give us, sometimes they don't give us any warning. Um, like, hey, we're coming, right? We're going <laughs> to disrupt your life. You know, mm. we wish we wish there were something like that. But I think they come and, and they're disorderly mm -hmm. and they cause chaos and they turn a world upside down because as human beings, we like order. I mean, we like to progress like in a way that makes sense to us. Mm -hmm. And so um, when a disaster or a crisis happens, um, it throws us out of balance. And, and I think that's a lot of what we're experiencing. And I think one way, and this is what I love about the sophistication um, that's embedded into tribal cultures, uh, we have our beliefs, uh, definitely. Uh, we have our values. We have our principles. We have a whole lot of teachings. And when you are talking about um, your relatives, if they're if they're going out the door, right? They're they're giving you they're still giving you guidance if you're trying to get in your car, right? <laughs> and they're telling they're trying to send you off in a good way, right? Uh -huh. And um, when I was a child, I remember um, my father, who we just revere and adore. He was just one of those kinds of persons that would gather us around the table, and if something had happened in the village, and I swear he had spies in the village. Uh, because um, he knew everything, right? He had eight kids, but he knew what all the eight kids were doing, right? And he'll just kind of bring it up like, did you know that Grandmother Myrtle, you know, who's not really related to us, but right? She lived on the other side of the village, and he would just kind of put it out there, and, and he says something like, 
Um, her chicken had eggs, but you know there were some eggs that disappeared, right? <laughs> you know, meaning like, were you guys involved in taking like some eggs, right? And we'd be going like, how did he know, right? So I think this fact about um, this relationship that we not only have with our nuclear families, our 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 kids and our spouses and, you know, then, then there's the entire extended family and then there's the entire community and then there's our relationship with the rest of the world. And sometimes I think when disaster hits, all of those teachings, they go out the window, right? Mm. And we feel like we're disconnected in a way where nothing makes sense. And uh, it's almost like, um, and I think that's a very human response. Uh, we get we get into this place where where we forget the values that we have or the connections that we have that we're rooted in something that's greater than ourselves, and we fall into uh, this space where we don't know what to do. Um, and so I think for for me, and I'm not immune to that, definitely. I've had things happen to me in life that's everybody, I mean, that's why we call it life, right? It comes with the good, it comes with the bad. And I feel that uh, the difference sometimes is how we cope and what we rely on. And if we're not looking back to where we come from and what we're made of, uh, we could probably most certainly experience uh, a crisis and disaster in a more traumatic way than other people. And so I think it's just a reminder. Um, And if you are talking, like if you ask people uh, out there who might be going through this trauma, and they're just like, you know, and I've heard from people who have told me, I feel helpless. I don't Mm -hmm. have any control I, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm afraid. I'm scared. I mean, it just brings out that really the dark, the deepest, like, like the bottom kind of feelings for people. And, but if I were to say it differently, and like if I were, if I said, how are you feeling? That's what I would get. But if I said, you know, um, do you remember like the teachings that your parents used to talk about or your grandma or your family, you know, that during these times, like what values come to mind? It, 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 you get a whole different response. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of that communication we're not having because uh, we're all in this together and how we're going to come out is, it's within our own control. It's, it's obviously there are a lot of things like beyond our control right now, right? The yes. economy is beyond our control. You know, when we're going to go back to work, it's beyond our control. So the one thing that has control right now is COVID-19. I mean, that little bitty virus is just in control of everybody and and that's just the hard thing for me to wrap my head around I'm like right. how big is this thing you know? <laughs> and, right and, and we don't even if we don't and you know I want to go back to I think what you said is so powerful for people to think about and and 
it may offer, I think it's offering some sort of an idea. Um, way a way to kind of open up communication differently with family with friends with colleagues and you know it's when you had said when I asked how you're feeling it got it goes right to those descriptors however when you ask folks to kind of go back go back to the like as you're saying that I'm closing my eyes thinking about going back to you know sitting you know listening to my nully you know or listening to my aunties and it's like, it's, I feel like the inside of me is sort of glowing in a heart way. Like, yeah, that they were giving us medicine to help us during this time. And, you know, your auntie's chasing you, you know, saying goodbye in the car. They're still giving you that because they know there's going to be a time when we're all on our knees that we tap back into that. We tap back, we go back. And I just think that is so powerful to sort of, have conversation and dialogue in a very positive, in a very heart-led way. Um, so then you're feeling this way, like, yes, there is hope. Yes, we can, we'll get through this somehow or another. And um, so I, I wanted to just circle back to that. And I'm curious about what you're saying, what you're sharing with us. How, how has dialogue been with your, um, your family, with your, your smaller unit? Well, um, it's it's been it's been um, I think interesting <laughs> to say the least. But let me let me just go back just uh, and and just acknowledge that um, I, I wanna I, I'm not saying the fear is not real. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, um, I think two days ago, um, well, at least on the 19th of April. Um, and you probably are more familiar with the statistic than anybody else. The Navajo Nation reported 1,197 positive COVID-19 cases and 44 deaths. And, and then in Via Pueblo in New Mexico, uh, which has a population of 900, they reported 31 positive cases. And then in my little tiny village where we have 100 members, we have three known positive cases, so so the fear is real. And I and and one of the things that was um, <clears throat> brought up, I think, in one news article is that um, some tribes are really fearful of becoming extinct, right? Because mm-hmm. they have such small yes. populations, mm-hmm. and this virus could be really devastating. So I know. So I don't want to say to people like, "Yeah, your fear is imaginary." Um, but what I want to say is that the fear is there, but our, the, the way that we cope uh, with the fear, uh, the, where, the way that we're going to cope with the reality of the situation is we have this beautiful arsenal within our bag to, to help us maintain our mental stability, our, our, our spiritual strength, right? And so... Um, so I was, um, I, I was, um, in a quandary of how to, uh, speak to my own family and in particular to my children, mm-hmm. um, because, um, the, the, the effects of COVID-19, especially where it takes people on their journey faster, right? I mean, like if you get sick. Um, we're dealing with like facilities that are full to capacity. 
uh, we're dealing with a situation where there's not enough ventilators for individuals. We're dealing with a system that's saying like, hey, uh, if there's no room in the end, you're going to have to take care of yourself at home, but you're going to have to isolate yourself away from your family. Um, and so there's these, there's like the environment has really been, uh, uh, I, and I keep saying it, it's traumatic, right? It's very traumatic and it's traumatic for the people that have the virus and it's especially traumatic for the people that have to take care of family members or who have to be distant from them. Uh, I have never been away from my grandchildren this long mm -hmm. and, uh, and I went to go see my grandson yesterday you know six foot distance we had a nice visit it was very short um, I can't be around my daughter because mm -hmm. she works for public service and she's out there uh, with law enforcement and so her exposure is very high so I, it's not like we can have our mother-daughter um, meetings anymore. Uh, so there, there are all kinds of situations like that. I can't hang out with uh, one of my sisters because she has cancer and she has chemotherapy. So she's like a high-risk individual. Mm -hmm. And so it makes us very acutely aware of who we can be around. I mean, we long for them. Our heart longs for them. We want to be connected with them. But we just can't, like, out of, like, deep concern uh, for their health uh, in a way where it's really testing us. And they say that, you know, a mother's love is unconditional, um, which means that if, if you want your people, uh, they're your people, right? <laughs> if you want your people to live, You'll do anything for them, which Absolutely. means like you're willing to stay away from them. You're willing to go without the hugs or you're willing only to communicate by telephone. And you just go to these lengths and you're just like, I'm in full mother mode right now. I'm like a mama bear. I'm like, wash <laughs> your hands, like wipe down. <laughs> you know, I'm like, every day I'm telling my daughter, as soon as you get home, you get in the shower, right? Yep, I mean, yep. like, you're just, you're, you're, we're like on high alert, like 24-7, we're just on high alert. And so, um, but, but we're also hearing, um, the way that our environment has changed, and we're also being faced with faced with really hard topics. Um, and so, let me give you an example. Um, just two days ago, um, the Hopi tribe finally released their protocols on how to handle um, deceased members of the tribe mm -hmm. who have succumbed to COVID nineteen. And you're just thinking, like, in your head, like, this is so surreal, right? Yeah. This is surreal yep. because they're laying out the protocol. So it's not as extreme as what I've read in the paper from out of New York City. And I don't know if the Navajo Nation has done the same. I know that the Pueblos in New Mexico are also issuing some guidelines. And, uh, but basically what it, what the gist of it is, is they're basically saying to us is that um, uh, even after you're deceased and you have gone on your journey, um, 
your body remains infectious. And you, you you become this biohazard. It's the only word that I could think about, right? I mean, you're, it's a bio, it's a biologically hazardous situation that that then transpires, and and it creates a tension between uh, how we normally help our loved ones transition into their journey. And uh, so, for example, in Acoma, um, at Acoma Pablo, we normally have a wake. And then there's a, a service at the Catholic Church. And then, you know, which involves all the relatives and community members to participate. And then there's a feeding of the public that happens. And um, at Hopi, it's more like, when the deceased person passes on, you take care of that individual very quickly um, and let them start their journey. And there's a grieving period of four days um, so that the person can start their journey. So there's differences um, in culture. So um, I'm sure that in Navajo, there's a, a traditional way of where you help people transition, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so one of the things that came up was how do you, how do you like, um, if you have this pro new protocol that comes out and it's a directive from your, from your tribal government, or it could be even a directive from the state or from the federal government, from the CDC, who are saying this is the best way to, to handle people who have succumbed to COVID-19. How do you like reconcile that with the cultural aspect, right? And that becomes like, like, do you talk about it? Do you just like wait till it happens and kind of like people figure it out? Um, so I, I just, from my personal like uh, point of view, I didn't want that to be the case for me and my children and I was thinking like it's already traumatic for them yes right now what they're experiencing and the best thing that we can do as I tell people is like we have to um take care of ourselves first because you're no good to anybody else Mm -hmm. right if you don't take care of yourself first it's sort of like the airplane thing you know when Mm -hmm. the oxygen thing falls from (laughs) the top and they tell you like put it on first and then put it on your children it's, it's, it's along that concept and you have to say, okay, um, what's going to make it okay for my children? What, what, what can I do? And so I pondered over this for days. I'm like walking around my house and trying to think, like, should I give them a call? You know? And then I just put out this message over text messaging. Thank goodness for technology where my family's on a channel and it includes uh, my kids. And I basically, so I have sisters and brothers. I come from a really uh, big family, and we're really tight. I mean, we're we fight, but we're tight. You know, <laughs> we can fight with each other, but if anybody from the outside picks on you, it's like you know, eight of us. Watch you know, out. like so. Yeah, watch out, right? We're like we're tight. We're we're, we're with each other. Uh, so I kind of put it out there, and I I I 
like was thinking like, okay, messaging is really important. And and so I put it out there and I just said, listen. And I don't know my exact words. I probably could look it up. But I said something like, if I should die from COVID-19, cremate me. I'm okay with that. And do the rituals later, right? <sighs> and I waited for my kids to respond. Nothing. <laughs> it was like, like, talk about putting something on a channel, right? But it was so funny because my brothers and sisters, who have a great sense of humor, right, started responding back. <laughs> and they were just, and, and, and they were really funny about it, right? And, and so, you know, just, just we had this banter going back and forth. And even though it was very serious, I wanted them to know that they had permission um, to to do this. And Hopis don't normally cremate, and that's why this is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. But the alternative is what I read in uh, the newspaper, what's happening at Cuba City, right? They're having to bring in a refrigerated truck, and I apologize because this is like really stark information. So if you have children listening to the podcast, right? Yes. But, I mean, but but there are also situations that are happening that are not normal. And we're, I mean, like, it's it's that capacity issue. And so I was thinking, like, well, if that's the alternative, you know, what what can I do for my kids? Because that's another kind of trauma um, to have that situation. And it's a more prolonged trauma. Uh, because the facilities can only handle so many cases per day. And I was thinking in my head, like, and thinking as a mother, do I want my kids to go through that? And I was thinking, like, absolutely not. What can I do to alleviate that burden off their shoulder and that it's okay with me? I wanted them to know that. And so... A few days went by, and I remember my daughter finally chimed in, and she kind of said something like, "Uh, there shall be no talk of cremation. Nobody is going to die, right? (laughs) It's like like something to that effect that her response is really direct. Like, she just was like, and then I just had to sigh of relief. And then my son, who's really direct, right, he's the one who came back and he said, I got it right? who's very pragmatic in his sense. So the fact that my kids know, and it may have been in a very like strange way of communication, we've since then talked about it you know, verbally over the telephone. But I think just opening that door and, and giving that permission, letting your loved ones or your circle, your family know what your wishes might be, um, there's been a lot of recent talks by people that are now um, trying to put down their wishes because the hospitals are now saying, who's going to be your power of attorney? Who's your agent? Who's, you know, uh, they're asking for um, <clears throat> resuscitation directives from families. Like, do you want your loved one resuscitated or not? Right. And that's just, that's just the way healthcare facilities function. And it's a very cold, cold thing to be asking families, especially when we're in this space of uncertainty. But I think we have to talk about it. So I go back 
to, um, I go back to the values that we have. We, we have to match our thinking right now of, of, of where these thoughts are taking us to what we're feeling with our heart and combine the two and think about the value. If we truly value our, our family, what can we do? Uh, what's, what's in our control and what can we do about it today? Not, not when, and it's almost like I don't want things happening to my kids. It's already happening. Um, it's already happening from other forces, but I don't want it. I don't want more trauma happening to them uh, as a result of me. And so what can I do to uh, just alleviate some of that concern? And of course, the extended family is a great support. And if they know also, they're all in the same boat. And I can just hear them like saying things like, well, Loris wanted it that way. (laughs) So like, you know, those are her wishes, right? And we're just like, and, and I think, and I think it's, it's, I think giving that permission is so important because uh, in, in tribal culture, certain things can be taboo, right? Absolutely. And, and, and it goes against like how we normally would do things. But if you give them permission and you really have that belief that the creator is giving us this mental ability to think things through that that they'll be forgiving in that space and that we're doing it for the larger good um, that that it's for our people that we want them to be healthy and robust and then have lives and a good life at that um, for a long time to come and that during this space you know um, things are just going to happen differently. And I was trying to think back to like when tribes uh, suffered smallpox uh, and when they were just being decimated across Indian country, what happened then? You know, like, like what, what, what were the adjustments that had to be made? Because we certainly were resilient and we survived. I mean, we're still here. Um, there may be some tribes that were completely done away with. I don't know about that history. But I was just thinking back, like, what, what was their resilience? What was their act of, of um, compassion towards uh, their families and to the community? And what kinds of things that they institute um, to address something so drastic and so deadly? And... So I think it all comes down to communication. You just really have to open the door. That's what we, we have the power to speak and we have the power to be heard. Um, it hasn't been taken away from us and we can flex that power and we can design our own um, future. And needless to say, I've been feeling really, really great. So it might have been a needless communication, <laughs> you know, not some words. Yes, you know, yeah. I have to say that um, you have really said so many things that I think will leave folks thinking um, as you were talking about your children. And, and it is, it's a, a major adjustment that we have to um woman up, man up, you know, and, and having the hard dialogue, because it is such a taboo in most cultures to, 
you don't talk about it. You know, now we're like, don't, you're not supposed to say that, you know? And, uh, however, the other thing that came to my mind as I was listening to you and, uh, is when you had said, you know, what, what are the words that, um, that are important that keep us grounded. And I was talking about eh, the whole interconnection you were talking about, love your family, love your community, love everyone around. And you're modeling that so well now by thinking about, you know, yourself, like, okay, what do I need and what needs to happen with conversation? And you're thinking not just be about you, but the ripple effect of how this is going to affect my children and how's that going to affect my grandchildren? Like you're, it, it is the choices we make are ripple effects. But you're thinking about it in a, in the context of not wanting them to carry something so heavy or wonder or did they make the right choice? And the whole, I mean, we could probably go a whole another hour talking about trauma. Um, so I just wanted to just let you know that I heard that and I just could see that perfect sort of circle of choices that we make. How it is important to kind of tap back into the values um, and what they mean. And they come up differently in different ways in different situations. So thank you so much for that. Um, I want to honor your time. And I also want to just um, honor folks that are listening. And I'm hoping that you're hearing from this. And I wanted to just uh, give you the opportunity to say any final thoughts or comments uh, as we wrap up. Um, I think if I were to say um, anything um, to people out there is that, one, you're not alone. Uh, two, uh, let's spread some positive energy around the universe uh, with with our values, our, our connection to each other, which may be different, but prayer goes a long way. Uh, centering ourselves uh, every day and every night. Um, making sure that we're um, um, just aware of the responsibility that we have to one another. Um, I think that's important. But but also to just encourage people, uh, let people know that we are all resilient. Uh, we're very resilient people and that uh, this too shall pass and that we're all going to find our way. And if we just hang on, uh, just a little bit more to and, and hang on dearly to the values and the teachings and the principles that we already have. We have we have a lot of things that that we've learned from the people that came before us, and and we can now lean on their shoulders in a way um, um, across um, generations, and and it's going to help guide us. Um, and and this too shall be over. So beautiful. That means thank you. And that was beautiful. I, again, want to thank you so much, Loris, um, for your time, sharing your wisdom, your sense of humor, and um, just leaving us on a good note. I feel good. I feel glowing inside. So thank you so much. Oh, I actually.